welcome to The Lit Review, a podcast sparked by a moment of urgency, recognizing mass political education as key for our liberation struggles. Every week, your hosts, Paige May and Monica Trinidad, will chat with people we love and respect about relevant books for the movement. Everything from history to theories around gender to sci-fi and beyond. We know that political study is not accessible for a variety of reasons. The high cost of books, academic jargon, the failures of our underfunded school systems, time barriers, and more. Our hope is that this podcast helps address some of those issues, making critical knowledge more accessible to the masses. Think SparkNotes in podcast form. I'm one of your hosts, Monica Trinidad. Thank you for listening. Uh, Riding solo today, minus my wonderful co-host Paige May, um, who's busy doing amazing things and celebrating Asada's daughters at their annual badge ceremony. So today we're here with podcast genius extraordinaire, Sarah Liu, uh, to talk about the book, The Next American Revolution, Sustainability, Sustainable Activism for the 21st Century by Grace Lee Boggs. Um, and so, but first let's talk about Sarah. Sarah Liu is uh, amazing and has been doing amazing things in Chicago all over the place um, from working on one of my favorite projects ever called Chain Reaction with Project Nia. Uh, shout out to Miriam Kaba, who I hope is one of our biggest fans. Actually, Timmy Rose is our biggest fan. Timmy Rose has, <laughs> if you're listening, you've listened to every episode. Thank you for listening. Um, so Sarah's worked with Chicago Public Media, WBEZ, Vocalo, and more. Am I missing anything? And what are you up to now? What am I up to now? I left Chicago Public Media um, at the end of 2016 to pursue a master's degree in industrial design. So I'm a grad student now. Um, but in terms of community work, the the outlet that I'm trying to get into right now is my local block club. So I'm the treasurer of my block club. Um, and <laughs> thank you. And um, in rereading this book, there there are things in it that really sort of resonate with me and, and the work I'm trying to do with my block club. Gravesley Boggs talks about how like hope and love is a motivating force in in the work of revolution and her husband Jimmy Boggs would say love is what makes you pick up the bottles on the street corner from the night before and like today I walked my dogs to one of the garden sites that our block club maintains and just picked up a bunch of trash (laughs) and um that's the way that I look at my neighborhood and that's important to me uh, to, to look at it as like this is a thing I'm doing because I love my community not like these bastards and their trash you know um, you can reframe you can reframe it and um, that's been really meaningful that's awesome me. channeling Gracie Boggs I love it totally it's awesome and also I just want to say here is also my partner turned fiance as of recent uh, Debbie Southhorn um, Debbie has a Gracie Boggs tattoo that's why she's here um, and she's really smart so what what does a tattoo say and say hello um, hey, what's up? So, uh, it's also my email signature sign-off, uh, <laughs> but it's just a quote of hers talking about how this is the time to grow our souls. Um, been inspired by the work of Grace Lee Boggs for a number of years now, since I first stumbled into her 95th birthday party on accident, and was like, who's this? Who? <laughs> cool. Uh, and, um... You said, who's this? Yeah, at the time. Wow. I know. I was a little little baby who didn't wow. know much better <laughs> um yeah and uh yeah just excited to hang out and be around friends talking about an amazing person cool so. well thanks for thanks for being here i should yeah. also say that like 
working on Chain Reaction is how Debbie and I got to know each other. Um, and so for those who may not know, Chain Reaction was an, a participatory audio research project slash like um, audio production um, where adult volunteers trained young people in audio interviewing and recording so that young people could interview their peers about personal encounters with police in Chicago. Um, and so the recordings that we made and, and the stuff that we recorded lives on the internet at alternatives to calling police dot org. No, alternatives to policing dot com. Boom. Yeah. Dot com. The recordings we made <laughs> are still available at uh, alternatives to policing dot com. Boom. Awesome. Great. Um, yeah. Awesome. So let's let's jump into this book a little bit. What Sarah, what led you to read this book? Um, that, and again, we're talking about Grace Lee Boggs' book, The um, Next American Revolution, Sustainable Activism in the 21st Century. And she wrote it with somebody, Scott... Kurashiga. Kurashiga. Yeah. Um, yeah. So can, what, yeah, what led you to read this book? Sure. So I first encountered Grace Lee Boggs when I was in college. Um, I was working on a research project looking at anti-racism in the U.S. queer movement, and Grace Lee Boggs is like a couple degrees removed from that, but what I was really looking for was um, scholarship around intersectionality and social movements, and I'm not exactly sure how I ended up on Grace Lee Boggs's autobiography called, um, I think, Living for Change, uh, but I, I like soaked that up, and it was amazing, and also, um, Grace Lee Boggs is Chinese American and her family hails from the Toyshan region of like southwestern China, which is also where my family is from. So when I see her, I kind of like identify with her, like she could be one of my own elders, you know? So that's how I first encountered her. Um, but I'm also drawn to her because I spent some meaningful time in Detroit uh, with the Allied media conference so when I was doing my public radio work I was really interested in like community work and collaborative audio and that brought me to the allied media conference I presented on sort of like make your own radio and, and sort of participatory radio stuff very much in the same vein as chain reaction um, and so Grace Lee Boggs uh, Detroit summer program and the um, Boggs Center is like allied media the allied media conference is sort of like an offshoot of that so there's like more overlap there um so when she wrote this book um i was super excited about it because i felt really strongly about her like i really related to her and also um having experienced a couple summers in detroit uh just the the power of what they were doing there really sticks it sticks with you if you if you see it <laughs> some of the things she talks about in the book um the schools uh, urban agriculture sites the other other things like it's there's just this palpable uh powerful sort of creation that's happening that just really <laughs> that really sticks with you um so yeah that's kind of why I'm drawn to this yeah, book yeah yeah and and so Quickly walk us through the book, if you can. Um, sure. What's what is Grace Lee Boggs talking about, and and when was this written too? Uh, 2011. Um, and so that was 
very intentional, right? Like it was the end of the first Obama presidency, right? And so there's this like moment of thinking about his legacy and also like how that connects to grassroots movements and organizing in the US. You know, she writes about how um, you know, grassroots organizing was responsible for getting Obama elected and he sort of capitalized on this like desire for hope and change that people had in terms of what is the book about in broad strokes um it's about how to do revolution um and in a cultural or humanist way it's it's really like a happy medium between um action and reflection in a dialectic method um that she outlines and Another really important part of it is building on the lessons of the civil rights movement um, and the social movements of the 1960s. And so, like, what are the meaningful takeaways? Are there any terms or vocab that she tends to use in this book that we should break down a little bit for folks? Yeah, I think the word... So, Grace Lee Boggs, um, by training, is a philosopher. <laughs> so she has a PhD in philosophy from Bryn Mawr. Philosophy and like seven decades of organizing, like that just, like that's sad. like what? So she talks about dialectic and a, dia- a dialectic is sort of like a dialogue or like a process of debate or questioning um, between op- opposing views or opposing opinions. Um, and when she talks about a dialectic, it comes from this um, Hegel, <laughs> a German philosopher. It's like a very specific meaning of dialectic, which is like I'm a philosophy minor. There so you go. You know, <laughs> Speaking your Hegel, language. Hegel. 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 Maybe I Hegel. Don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, I should know how to say it, but I it was Hegel. Maybe Hegel. Maybe. It could be Hegel. Sounds fine. Any Hegel. any Deutsch Hegel. any Deutsch speakers out there want to clarify? <laughs> um, so in 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 a hegelian sense it means to um work through contradictions um and opposing meanings and opposing views um so that's kind of like a philosophy word that is woven throughout the book that i think is important to to define cool and i know she talks a little bit about like i so i i tried to get through some of the book last night um, while I was waiting for Debbie to get out of a meeting. And uh, I, she talks a lot about reinventing culture, um, which, is, which was really you know, striking to me. And I, and I also am very unfamiliar with a lot of Grace Lee Boggs' writing, which is why I was really excited about this podcast to hear you know, from somebody who, who has really delved into her writing. Um, but yeah, you know, reinventing culture, right? And, and she talks a lot about visionary organizing, right? And as you know, an art, a movement artist, and someone who um, really strives to um, bring home the message that art is integral to organizing, right? We need visionary organizing um, as a form of resistance in this moment, right? And and how visionary organizing and, and cultural production has always been the way we've resisted, you know, especially for people of color and black and brown people. Um, and so I was really excited to see her sort of, you know, immediately talking about that in this book. Um, so can you break down a little bit about, you know, what is she talking about when she's saying reinventing culture? When she's talking about reinventing culture, she's talking about refocusing individuals on not like just their survival and um, 
making it in a capitalist world and get going for material gain and, and status, but um, rethinking their relationship to the environment and to their community and, and powerful relationships um, with other people. So yeah, that's what she's, she's talking about, like humanist cultural production that makes you feel more like a person and not um, a cog in a machine. And art is so important in, in that. So. And she, I know she gives a definition too. She said, visionary organizing is creating images and stories of the future to fuel imagination. You know, and to me, you know, that's creating a new culture, right? Um, that, that's, that's what revolution is, right? How important it is to just, not only to fuel this imagination, but, um, but also just to keep activists and organizers motivated, right? Like, what are we fighting for, right? And what are, you know, what, what are we trying to achieve um, in, in these struggles? Um, so I really, I really appreciated um, what she was saying. She was also talking a little bit about um, transformational organizing in it. Um, as take, she said it takes more than growing numbers, right? And so, can, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, I love that. So, the transformational organizing that she's talking about is on a small scale, <laughs> which is. Um, interesting for me to think about. Um, it's not like mass mobilization. It's not like a centralized movement with the vanguard and then everybody gets in line um, with that. It's really about people responding to where they are in community with the people around them. It's about being a creative problem solver um, and creating alternatives to systems that are hurting you. The, the main things she talks about are um, food, food justice and self-reliance and food security. So um, urban agriculture in the case of Detroit and also um, changing education and uh, making it less about how to regurgitate information or prepare young people to fit into an industrial <laughs> job force and teach them to think creatively and work together with other people to solve problems creatively. And it's more about like hands-on education. Um, so yeah, those are the sort of main things using, and she uses like projects in Detroit as test cases for these methods. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and I think I would just jump in following up on what, everything you're saying, Sarah, and like the piece about like reinventing culture and uh, sort of really like, I think she's sort of in the realm of, of talking about the importance of alternatives in this moment, um, which I think often kind of gets like sort of passed off as like wishy-washy when we think about like organizing culture, like traditions of organizing and sort of like Midwest Academy and like Alinsky style stuff. Like that's not how you change power relations, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's nice to try for fun on the side, but what she's, what I, what I really appreciate too that, that she's talking about in this book, right? Is like, she puts us in like the global t context of like, we are entering the third millennium, right? Since whatever the year zero of whatever. And shit's crumbling, right? Like the, the empire that we live in the heart of is like in a period of decay. I don't really even understand it that much, but she's, she was like, like around for a hundred years. Like I'm going <laughs> to trust that she has yes. some like longevity and perspective here. She's seen 
like she saw both of the world wars and uh, all of the independent struggles of the 1960s and 70s like she's seen some stuff and she can tell right that we are in a completely new era where so many young organizers today and older organizers let's be real try to take the strategies of sort of anti-imperialist struggle of the 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 60s and 70s and apply them to today Mm -hmm. and surprise surprise the same strategies don't always work right we're in a different context and so i think the the real let like case she's trying to make here and like almost trying to implore that that more people recognize the importance of alternatives in this moment and and i think it's you know, it's not by coincidence that that most of her work is based out of Detroit and that she's been shaped by Detroit and is also then trying to make sure other folks learn from what they've been doing there in this city that to, you know, to the average person is like the epitome of what happens when capitalism like abandons a place, right? Exactly. Mass, mass disinvestment, mass foreclosures, tons of empty lots, tons of unemployment, um, like anti-black racism on a scale that like is is just uh, very like really there's some unique stuff happening in Detroit right mm-hmm. the, the number of empty buildings you see when you're downtown mm-hmm. um, and to really like turn that around and talk about how Detroit is a place we all need to learn from right mm-hmm. is just uh, such a gift I think to to so many who aren't there yeah to build off of that I guess there's two points I want to make the first is um, she was part of the black power movement in Detroit. So when she, in one of the chapters, it's like, let's talk about Martin and Malcolm. (laughs) And that's a really key chapter because she was part of the civil rights movement in a like firsthand way. And she teases out some of the things that are easily forgotten in history about both Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, which is that they were both um, works in progress who were constantly reevaluating and learning and reading, and they were dialectically <laughs> engaged people, um, but their lives were cut short before. Oh, sorry, my dog just. Manny. He's, he's getting excited about it. Dialectic. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Martin and Malcolm, is what he's saying. Um, that their lives were cut short before they were able to bring about some of the things that they were talking about. Um, and like their thinking and their actions had evolved past the point that they're sort of memorialized now, um, which I think is really interesting. So that's like a key chapter. Um, But in in terms of Martin Luther King Jr., he was like very shaped by his experience living in Chicago and engaging with like young young people in the North Lawndale neighborhood. And like coming out of that, that was when he started to talk more about opposing the war in Vietnam and like the... And, and also to start talking more about poverty. He was m- much more ambitious and more broad thinking and also in thinking in terms of a global citizen um, than he's generally remembered as. And the, the same the same is true of, of, of Malcolm X. He was, he was actually like working on collaborating with Martin Luther King Jr. before he was 
killed. Mm-hmm. And didn't Grace Lee Boggs live in Chicago for a while too? She did. On yeah. The South Side. Mm-hmm. She and she worked at the University of Chicago. Oh. For a while. Because I, I I remember reading like this brief thing about her where I, I had read that she was in an apartment um, in, in the, on the south side of Chicago, and um, it was rat-infested. And, and she was just like, this is awful. This is horrible living conditions. I'm not the only one experiencing this. Like, everybody on this side, you know, mostly um, black people are experiencing, like, horrible living conditions and, and that sort of... And maybe, I don't know if I made this up, but I th- I, I'm pretty sure I read the story that, that, you know, that really spurred her into com- uh, community organizing and, you know, being on the ground, talking with neighbors, figuring out how to, like, fuel people power, um, basically. Um, and that that's sort of, that was the first piece I had heard about her. Kind of getting her out of, like, the philosopher ivory tower and, like, into the practice mm-hmm. of, um, yeah, leftist politics on the ground yeah and and there was also like a thread of that where like some um communist socialists were all about like class <laughs> and some were saying like actually like the african-american struggle is like and it is like really kind of like where we need to be right now um and she was on that like that's how she saw it and there was kind of a split uh, within American leftists at the time, and that's kind of where she ended up, and that was very, I'm sure, like, largely informed by her experiences in Chicago. Yeah. So there's another Chicago connection. Yeah, and I think we'd rem- be remiss to not to mention, like, that early on in her career in Chicago was where she linked up with C.L.R. James, mm. the incredible mm. black historian, uh, right, who wrote uh, The Black Jacobins, the history of the Haitian Revolution that was really... Uh, influential at the time um yeah and was part of like Trotskyist circles with him and it wasn't until like the 50s that she met Jimmy and moved to Detroit and uh really like made that commitment to sort of like domestic black struggle and like figuring out what it meant for her to support that work um as like a non-black person right but really deeply committed to like like people's liberation and black liberation Mm -hmm. in particular um but yeah, I just, I always thought that was amazing because Grace Lee Boggs was my first time learning about uh, C.L.R. James as a historian who I still need to learn more about. But to think that they just like were pals who like edited pamphlets together and like mm-hmm. she was really badass. So and to think too that so much of her political career, career, I'm using air quotes because, <laughs> you know, it was like her life. But so much of that aspect of her life like started in her 30s. Right, and that she would become this incredibly influential person who so many people, I swear, like made pilgrimages to to try to be able to to meet her, especially towards the end of her life, um, and and she deserved every bit of it, right? Uh, but that that all was like sort of post youth, right? Um, and but that even throughout that, her commitment has been to young people and like the the necessity of of young people as like leaders and as visionaries and like. Um, I don't know. She's fascinating. I, I want to jump ahead um, just because we're running short on time. Um, so in the beginning of the book, Grace Lee Boggs talks about, or she, she literally says, the, the most important qualification of a movement activist is the ability to learn. Um, so 
I just wanted to hear from y'all, um, in your opinion, what do you think are some important qualifications? Qualification is such a funny word, right? But that's literally, that's what she said. I'm just, I'm just quoting Gracie Boggs. But what do you think? I mean, that's kind of why I thought this book would be perfect for what you're trying to do with the Lit Review podcast, because you're constantly reading <laughs> and educating yourself. And Hashtag keep reading. Hashtag <laughs> keep reading. Um, so that's kind of why I thought it would be up your alley. She talks about this as like influenced by, by Jimmy or something. I think she like quotes Jimmy, but like you have to love the, your country and you have to love your community enough to want to change it. And that's, you know, James Baldwin says similar things in the fire next time. Right. Like it's out of, uh, abiding love and within that some forgiveness <laughs> um, for different people that you f- you're f- you're fighting for yourself but you're fighting for everybody and I think that's um, I think that's an important qualification yeah to, you know I immediately thought of um, whenever I talk about for the people artist collective I talk about um, this quote by Emery Douglas, um, and Emery Douglas was the Minister of Culture for the Black Panther Party. Um, he's the one that did all of the artwork, the covers of the newspapers, and um, he has this quote, um, and it's sort of where we got the name for the People Artist Collective, and that he always says that he made art for the people's sake. Um, and he says, no artist can sit in their ivory tower um, talking about the problems of the day um, and then come up with a solution on a piece of paper. The artist has to be down on the ground, has to be um, hearing the laughter of the people, the cries of the people, the good times and the bad times. Um, so, you know, to me, a, a move, you know, a quote, movement artist or a movement activist needs to be on the ground and needs to be, in, you know, in the community. Um, you know, and to me, that's, you know, immediately what I thought of when, when she mentioned, you know, these qualifications. Um, I don't know if Debbie has a... I mean, I think if we're, like, talking about Grace Lee Boggs and characteristics that she emphasizes a lot, yeah. I think it's, yeah, willingness to learn, to be transformed, imagination, right, like you, like you said earlier about art. Uh, but she talks a lot about the importance of imagination, um, the importance of creativity, the importance of trying things and learning from them. I think uh, I also was really intrigued. I was just like flipping through the book, trying to uh, refresh my memory a little bit uh, because I haven't revisited her words as recently. But uh, she had interesting, you know, she's a humanist, so she has some interesting things to say about like identity and identity politics. What is a humanist? Like just very briefly. Super briefly, like what is uh, you know, to you, Sarah, too? <laughs> like, what is a human? If, if someone was like, "What does that mean?" I don't know. I think if I like had to like really sum it down, it's like that you believe in people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that people are generally good and that we can like do rad shit if we try together and together. You believe okay. in people. Perfect. Uh, I think sometimes, right, like sort of humanist philosophies seem more liberal when put up against like sort of uh, a, a political agenda that's rooted in like self-determination mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Uh, you know liberation for a particular community but I don't also don't know that they're exclusive yeah like my yeah. good buddy in prison is a self-avowed humanist and yeah. it's like incredibly encouraging like meaning in the human capacity to transform and um, make meaning out of 
your environment and your context. Um, that it's not dogmatic or like ideological necessarily, but more like universal about the human experience. I would love to have, I mean, my, this is a whole nother podcast, but I would love to hear like a conversation between like, you know, like a humanist perspective versus like an Afro-pessimist perspective. Like what does that actually, like, what does it mean to be a humanist? Like when black people aren't seen in this country as human. Or humanity Um, is defined against black people. Yes. For sure. Exactly. Exactly. Um, But anyways, I cut you off. You were, you were talking about. Well, and I was, I think it actually really relates to that conversation Mm -hmm. because one of the things she was talking about is how, you know, she obviously has understandings of power and how power works and, and recognizes that, you know, identity politics and struggles rooted in identity politics are important. Um, but she also talks about the ways that, that the, that's like changed some of our minds to see ourselves as determined rather than as determining, you know, that identity becomes the thing that forms us and that's the end of the game as opposed to the thing that informs us and then we make sort of choices about how we move through the world in form of that. And I was just like, that's interesting. Mm. Uh, I'm really curious to, to sort of hash this out more. And um, Yeah, I think, not to interrupt, but to build off of that, like, I think the thing that she wants people to understand is, like, their own capacity to change something um, instead of, like, ex- accepting something or, like, having to deal with something. Like, you, you have more power than you realize, to do something and there's so much meaning in doing something and doing anything <laughs> and literally doing anything <laughs> to um t- that's an alternative to what to like structural or systemic oppression or issues um there you have s- so much power inside of you and especially in collaboration with other people to to do stuff and man, I just keep thinking about what would she think right now in this moment of, you know, why should an organizer in this moment right now read this book? Like, what can an organizer actually gain from this book right now, especially in this moment? That's a super good question. I think for me, the it's a little bit of a feel-good read. Um, be- like there, is hope. <laughs> there is hope. Um, there are a lot of reasons to feel hope and to look at what's going on and understand that as hopeful. Um, there's this part where she talks about like the revolution is already out there. It wants to be born. And like, we are like midwives (laughs) of this revolution, which is like, um, a really positive and like hopeful way of thinking about it. It's like, you don't have to, like sometimes it's overwhelming when so many things are messed up to feel like, what am I going to do about this? But you don't have to like create something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, these things are like the, the ingredients for this, the stuff of this, the force of this revolution that we want is already out there. Mm-hmm. And we just have to let it come out and like help it out. Yeah, the key part and help it out, right? And like mm-hmm. make it come out because it won't inevitably. Like I was just rereading. So this is the like part of my email signature quote of hers that I love, right? But it's talking about <laughs> despite the powers and principles that are bet on, bent on objectifying and commodifying us and all our human relationships, the interlocking crises of our time actually require that we exercise the power within us to make principled choices in our ongoing daily and political lives. Choices that will eventually 
although not inevitably, since there are no guarantees, make a difference. So yeah, feel good, but you got to do something, and we are more powerful than these like d destructive forces, even though they dominate so many aspects of daily life. Yeah, and like the other thing that I think is a takeaway for like the modern day person activist or just like a regular person who's like overwhelmed by are we out of time okay um is that like the like small scale solidarity economics of like just existing <laughs> and being connected to and engaging with um people in your community is really meaningful and like kind of breaks you out of the isolation and I think like the isolation that you might be in when you experience the news cycle <laughs> is really overwhelming. But if you kind of like stop reading think pieces and like actually get out and do something, um, anything really in with your neighbors and with your community, that's sort of like an antidote. Like all this, everything that's going on feels less overwhelming um, when you are connected to other people. And like the experience of being isolated um, is part of global capitalism um, and technology, right? Like the idea that you work at a job that you don't really like and so you can like afford to like entertain yourself in your house by yourself and like not interact with other people. Like that's, it's damaging us and it's, it's making this moment I think feel worse or like more overwhelming to people than it needs to be. And so that's kind of connected to what she was talking about, this like, emphasis on like constantly growing economic development and capitalism um so it's it's there are people who like aren't activists who are just who are maybe not engaged in communities who are like really overwhelmed right now and you know i, f I feel for them <laughs> in this moment so yeah and two questions um if, uh, if someone was going to pick up that book right now and, and read a chapter, what chapter would, would they read or should they read? I think definitely like the chapter we need to talk about Malcolm and Martin. Is that the first chapter? Or is that, um, that is a good question. Let, yeah. me, let me check on that. And also like what, so this person, Scott, did he like collab with her on this book or did he like write a ch just like a one chapter or two chapters? I think he collabed with her oh. on it. Um, Okay, let's talk about Malcolm and Martin as chapter three. Chapter three, okay. Um, Hear that, everybody? Read chapter three. Also, I'm pretty sure I've hung out with Scott's kid and <laughs> seen him doing childcare. I think I follow right Scott on Twitter, so there I'm going to go. make sure that Scott sees this. Shout out to Scott. <laughs> hey, Scott. Um, and you, have you, I forgot to ask in the beginning too, have you met Grace Lee Boggs? Really casually. Casually, okay. Um, I went to her 95th birthday party at the Whole House Museum. Oop, we're done. No, Time out. No. Cut it off. <laughs> Time's up. Time's up. This You're done. You met her casually. This podcast um, is over. <laughs> I met her at the Whole House Museum and like had a cupcake for her oh. birthday. Which birthday? 95th. Oh. So 2010. I wish I Yeah. I feel like everyone I know has met her, yeah. except for And me. that's the other cool thing about her. She was, like, so personable and, like, down with everybody. Yeah. And then also, like, in reading this book, um, 
there are multiple people that she mentions on the same, you know, status as like Hegel and C.L.R. James <laughs> that like I actually met in real life, which is crazy. Like um, Alana Weaver, aka Invincible, aka Ill. Um, I think is yeah. I had the opportunity to do some work with them. Um, and then, like, yeah, the Allied Media Conference, which was sort of born out of Detroit summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Jenny me some Lee. Allied Media Conference. Like, these are people that are, like, alive and kicking yeah. and also really down with everybody. So it was kind of like, you're talking about, like, people I know, you know? People so that was on another the ground, doing, connection the, doing the work. To, um, yeah, so that was, that was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, if you want, uh, if you, if this podcast made you want to hear more, of Grace Lee Boggs, you can hear her own words on the the, the track "Locus," uh, the uh, invisible yeah. recording talking about. I have heard that Detroit, mm-hmm. uh, but then also you should read this book, yes, and her biography, mm-hmm. yes, and we should get more folks talking about uh, her work. Oh, we will, and potentially totally. even that that conversation that you were absolutely suggesting about. And so you gave a really good quote earlier, so I'm going to have Sarah drive this podcast out um, by reading, what are your, one of your favorite quotes from this book? Well, I mean, she ends it on a powerful note. So you've gone on this journey with us talking about the, the meaning and the dialectic and all these um, ways that she's engaged these ideas. Um, so sort of she, she ends by giving like, pragmatic real world examples of these ideas of revolution in action um and she says they they slash we are the leaders we are looking for Mm. in this revolution so Mm. that um that's really powerful we yeah we are the leaders we're looking for Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. we gotta just lead another episode of the lit review a podcast where we interview people we love and respect about books for the movement we are your co-hosts monica trinidad and Paige may two chicago-based organizers special shout out to the lit review's very own sponsor the arcus center for social justice leadership out of kalamazoo college keep your eyes and ears open for another episode next monday same time same place want to hear about a specific book email us at the lit review chicago at gmail.com or find us on facebook and if you like this episode, give it a shout out on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is at LitReviewShy. Keep, Keep reading! reading.